Hi, and welcome back to the Relatively Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lady. I'm a digital marketer and advocate for continued learning and self-development. This podcast is for anyone looking to learn from their peers about the lessons and growth from vulnerabilities, struggles, and adversity face. Today's episode is with uh, a man formerly known as Dr. Death. He spearheaded a movement to keep the Raiders in Oakland. He's from West Sac, but he calls the island of Guam his second home. He's a specialist in public relations and media strategy. Welcome to the show, Ray Perez. How's it going, man? Matt Lady, what's going on, my man? Thanks so much for having me, dude. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today, man? Oh, uh, you know what, man? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's uh, starting off a Monday, get to start start off the week, you know, start the grind. You know, how are you doing, my man? Doing well, doing well. Just uh, answering some emails this morning uh, and then getting on the podcast. We had a little uh, t- d- difficulty, but uh, got it sorted out. Um, so where are you, where are you calling your, from today, no, dude? But, but when you break into your emails, I think that's when you can officially call yourself adulting, right? Adulting. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You're officially adulting when Monday morning you're looking forward to your emails when back in the day when you had no job or nothing, you either turned on ESPN or you go back to yesteryear, you're turning on cartoons. Now it's turning on, now it's getting into emails, right? Oh, Welcome to adulthood and post-college life. Oh, it's it's a blessing and a curse because those emails, uh, answering those, those are my clients. They're making me money. They're giving me work. Uh, it's all good, but uh but now yeah. you get to podcast too now yeah i get to podcast doesn't mean we can't have fun as adults right no no you gotta mix it up it's a little bit of both work in play for sure uh so uh where are you calling in from today dude you know i'm i'm from my home here in west sac um oh cool uh, yes yeah i'm home from west sac getting ready to do some work and i was like oh i gotta chat with my boy matt let's get this thing started man yeah okay so how long have you been in sac for dude so I'm born and raised here in West Sac. Um, so dating back to my family, my family immigrated here from Mexico in the late 30s. Um, then I grew up um, at my great grandmother's home who raised me till I was 14. Then my dad bought a house here in West Sac and um, born and raised here. But I was fortunate to have my paternal great grandparent, my paternal grandparents raise me on the island of Guam during my summers. So I would spend, what, eight months here, four months on Guam all the way mm-hmm. till I was, what, 18, 19 then I had to scale it back because the moment you become an adult at 18, you go to college, you got to you have work. So I was only able to go to Guam every other year for mm-hmm. three weeks instead of the whole four months. So right. like I said, adulting. What's the, yeah, yeah. What's the biggest difference between, I mean, I'm sure there's several, but what's one of the biggest differences between here and Guam? You know what, you know, what's interesting about that is even though I was born and raised here, Okay, so in in your in your respective household here here in my home, right? You're still living by your respective culture. Whether let's say if you're Mexican, you have your Mexican heritage in your home, right? Mm-hmm. So I had that here on my dad's side, where we had our basic little custom. So for example, when we come in to our home, we would take off our slippers or our shoes and put them at the front at the front door, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I would go to my friend's house and I take off my shoes, they'd kind of look at me kind of weird like what are you doing you know yeah but like the biggest one is when you go back to guam it's very like it's, it's like 98 percent catholic right so a lot of our mannerisms and culture has a lot to do with catholicism a lot to do with respect um every time that you go to a, a family friend's house or a family's house 
we have this thing called mangini or or amen. We have to go up to them and you either you know you 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 sniff their cheek or you take their hand and you 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 take their hand and you put it at the tip of your nose and they say bless you right. There's you know here at public schools are very secular meaning no god in schools right. Mm-hmm. Whereas the public schools out there they have a baccalaureate mass where even you're a public school a priest comes in and does a mass to bless you. Right. Okay. Okay. And they're, we're very family oriented and we love food and we celebrate a lot, or I don't want to say everything. I don't want to throw that term loosely around, but every time that there's like a, like christenings, baptisms, um, birthdays, uh, weddings, there's always big feasts. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I went to a wedding out here, I just said, why are you serving me my food? I should go over there and take my food. Like it, it was just kind of like awkward, even though I was raised here, yeah. I was always around the respective Guamanian community. And it's like, when I went to a non-Guamanian community, even here, it was like, this was, it was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and there's a, there is an, I, this is the one that kind of like maybe culturally was a little frustrating is um, there's a huge emphasis on respect especially to your elders and i see a lot of i see some lack in that here and i like my cousins would we would look at each other when we'd go anywhere in public and we just look at each other and we go thoughts are respect meaning no respect you know Mm -hmm. and so that was like the that that's the biggest thing for me especially culturally wise even though being raised here always being around the Guamanian culture, we call it the Chamorro culture on Guam in here. And you know, it's some of the big stuff that's different. Wow. Okay. So you spent most of your time in the U S and you see these big differences as in uh, terms of culture and celebration and respect and religion. Um, how did that help? How did you tie the two together? Did you just take what you liked from each one? Like I like this thing from the U S I like this from my Guam side of like my background. Um, or how did you kind of put together yourself and how you wanted to act? Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting about that is um, see, I was currently reading a book, um, and it's called the right side of history, how reason and moral propose, how reason and moral purpose made the West great. Mm-hmm. That was by Ben Shapiro. He is a conservative columnist, but, but he, he, he talked about it from secular views, meaning that the foundations of the United States what came from Christianity and um, yeah, it came from Christianity and because of my, my, because my values are already Christian, that there wasn't that much of a difference being here in terms of values. And, you know, like for example, don't kill, don't covet your, your neighbor's wife. There was already these instilled values that we get from Christianity Mm. that, it was only really just cultural differences in terms of taking it a step further in terms of respect. Like here, when you go to your aunt's house, you, you still give her a hug. Hello. How are you doing? You know what I mean? Like when you go to Thanksgiving, you don't just say hi, you go up to your aunt and you maybe give her a hug or you go to your cousins and you still, you still greet them. It's just that my greeting was just different in terms of style. Yeah. And whereas, you know, maybe if you go to, I don't know, Arab countries, it may be different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas here, because the United States is already have these like Judeo-Christian values, even though we're still somewhat secular, 
there's still some diff. There's still some similarities enough to where it's like I'm not coming from a third world culture or a country. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right so, on. So it's still similar enough. It's just different styles, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. So you you grew up here. You grew up in Guam a little bit. Uh, you went off to college around 18 or 19, you said. Um, what did you do when you weren't in college in school? Like, what were some of your interests and hobbies? So obviously, so I was a huge Raider fan growing up. Mm-hmm. The Raiders were like, if it wasn't God, if it wasn't school or family, it was always Raider, Raider, Raider. Or even, <laughs> even during all those three, when I was in college, it was still Raider. When I was in not me you know when i went to the only time that i really shed the the raider brand like a carcass is maybe when i went to church there's no raiderism in church or in my religious faith right mm-hmm. excuse me but when i when i was younger my father took me to my first raider game when i was about 7 years old and when i went there i said damn this is way better than disneyland <laughs> And it was, it was freaking awesome because, you know, by that, by the time I was eight years old, my grandparents, every time they came out here to Guam, we'd always make a trip out to Disneyland and it was fun. And it was just us three or four. But when you go to an Oakland Raider game, when your team scores and you cheer the moment, like the, I remember the first time I cheered and I went, yeah, like 55,000 other Raider fans cheered at the same time I did. And it kind of startled me like, whoa, people are cheering with me. This is cool. Yeah. Right. And then it be, it was um, eu- euphoric. And like when I'd go to tailgates, I'm meeting all these people from like all different walks of life. And it was it was something that I never wanted to let go. Like even when I went home, I never stopped talking about it. And it's like even as a child, they said, Dad, I want to do more and more and more. And that more and more and more was putting on face paint, putting on my shoulder pads. And you took a lot of pride in the Raiders. Right. And. Mm-hmm. As, as I got older and I be, and I got more face paint and and I went to more Raider games, then came a lot of the activities outside of the, the football game on a Sunday. We would do charity events. We would go to Raider fans that I met and have barbecues at their house. And it what really was fun at Raider games on that Sunday in the fall to, the spilled over into February, March, April, May where there was no games, but we were still doing events. And I would go to these events at every chance I got when I was out of school. Or maybe I was in school and I met other Raider fans. And we were still talking about Raider, you know, about the Raider. Yeah. And then when I was in college, I did a pod because I, I started my podcast on my own. But then I put I took my podcast and started doing a live radio show at Sac State. And I had another Raider fan do it with me. So everywhere I went, it's like the Raiders were following me everywhere. And it became fun. You know what I mean? Like uh and and then I started becoming friends with people. Had it not been for the Raiders, I would have never known. Like you take away the Raiders, and I, if I didn't take on the Raiders, there's people part of my life I would have never met. Yeah, that's super interesting. How that became part of your identity, part of your friends and f- people you call family in your network. And like you said, it spills. It's not just the three hours on Sunday during the game. It becomes the tailgate before. It's the barbecues after these charity events as well. Um, and you became, you alluded to it, but you put the face paint on these shoulder pads. There's a lot of fanatic fans like this, but uh, it seemed like you took it a step further. You took it to the next level. You became this character, this figure known as Dr. Death. And so how did, 
first of all, how did that cool ass name come about? Yeah. So, so going back to, I, I started dressing up when I was like, what, seven, eight, and it was just face paint shoulder pads. As I got older, it morphed into this hard hat with knives on my head and I had these really curly dreadlocks and then I painted my face where it, the only thing on my face was silver was from my nose down to my chin and so everything else was black right so mm-hmm. it was kind of creepy these yeah. shoulder pads I had the number 26 jersey and I had these prison pants and I got the name because one day a Raider player passed away and there's a group of former players that played in the seventies that were part of the soul patrol, Jack Tatum, known as the assassin. There was a uh, George Atkinson. Um, there was Lester Hayes. And then there was Skip Thomas who went by the name, Dr. Death. And part of that name came from how deadly he was on the field. So when Jack Tatum passed away, they said Jack Tatum, along with Skip Thomas, Dr. Death, And when I was laying on my couch, I was like, what, 21 at the time. I said, aha, that name. It just, they were talking about the Raiders. It was like eight in the morning. I'm on my couch watching ESPN. My eye opened, you know, because they're talking about the Raiders. I don't know what they were talking about. Jack Tatum passed away. My second eye opened. And I said, that's one of the reasons why I started watching the Raiders when I was younger. Because of Jack Tatum. I remember his highlights, right? And then they said, skip Thomas, Dr. Death. That's when I said, wait. That's when I sprung up and I said, that's my name. And the following week, I actually went to a Raider game and somebody said, hey, what's your name? Because everybody has a name like Raider Rob, Raider Joe, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, Dr. Death. And they go, oh, Skip Thomas, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it always stuck. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, uh, people just knew me as Dr. Death. Everywhere I'd go, I'd introduce myself as Dr. Death. Even if you... uh... You introduced yourself as Dr. Death even if you weren't in uh, the getup or only in okay. here. So when I was in my getup, and you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll obviously delve into this later on. When I became Dr. Death and I started getting notoriety, especially trying to keep the name, the, the Raiders in Oakland, and I started doing a lot of interviews. And then people outside of my Raider world started to understand, hey, that's Ray. He goes by Dr. Death. It became like, you know, within four or five years here in my hometown – I'd go to the donut shop. I'd go to any store. I'd go to the barber shop, and people would say, "Hey, it's Doctor Death," because they saw me on the news mm. as a Raider fan, seeing what I was up to. Because the Raiders obviously are here in this geographic region, mm-hmm. they were possibly moving, and I was one of the only few fans that wasn't an NFL executive or an Oakland politician that was doing these interviews from a fan perspective. Right. Right. Okay. So then. You're a super fan. You're gaining popularity. Everyone knows you. The Raiders are have good and bad seasons off and on throughout your life. Um, what? And we're getting to the kind of the main topic, the meat and potatoes for today of this uh, adversity you want to talk about is that there's been uh, news and rumblings and announcements that the Raiders are moving out of Oakland. And you are the ones, one of the few people to speak up against it and keep them in support in Oakland. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you what happened is uh, news broke and I just said, oh man, this sucks. When was this again? This was 2012, 2012, 2013. Okay. Okay. 
And uh, I got a call from a friend of mine, older gentleman, because I was, what, 24, 25 at the time. And he's early 40s. Because he had, because the Raiders had moved to Los Angeles in the in the early '80s, and that tore him apart in the community. And Raider fans in Oakland were just heartbroken. Then they came back, right? So he went through that. So he called me one day, and he goes, "Hey Ray, they're gonna they're supposed to have this meeting at Oakland City Council. Do you think you can go and speak and say why the Raiders should stay here and we should do everything as a community to keep them here?" And my response to him was, "I don't know if I can go because I'm going to school full time. I'm working in the restaurant business full time. I don't know." And he was kind of deflated. I can just tell in his voice that a grown man was kind of deflated because he was. Him and many others were really desperate to have somebody speak up for them and stand up for them. So when I told them no, I went to bed that night and I I couldn't sleep. I just said, man, I don't like his the deflation in his voice was echoing in my head like it wouldn't go away. And then I thought if if I don't do anything at all, if I don't speak up at all and they end up leaving, I'm never going to be able to live with myself. Like if I go and they still leave, at least I tried something. At least I put some effort into it. And um, the following morning, I called it. I I emailed my professors. I called my boss. I got some shifts covered, moved some stuff around. And I went and I delivered a speech that day when I showed up. And my friend was like shocked that I was there. And I believe that was one of the speeches that I delivered to keep the Raiders in Oakland that went trending on Yahoo. And after that is when people said, okay, whoa, who is this guy? Wow. So <laughs> this older gentleman, not elder, he's early forties. Early forties. And when I, when I, the reason why I say older is because I'm not old enough to remember the Raiders first move in the early eighties. I was right, born in right. 87 and they moved in 81, 82. Um, and so anybody older, you know, than what? 35, Oh, anybody older than I think 35 would remember the move. Yeah. So this guy calls on you. He's a, he's a passionate Raiders fan for decades. He calls on you for support. You initially turn him down because you're, you're busy, dude. You got Mm -hmm. plenty of stuff going on. Um, But then something just doesn't sit well with you deep in your heart somewhere. You're like, ah, shit, man, I got to do this. I I'm like, I'm Dr. Death. I got to try to um, help my team out, help my community. And this, the, People you call family, help them out. So you go, you deliver this speech that went trending, went viral. Like, what would what you say in this speech that was so like awesome and important? And yeah, so I do. So anytime I do speeches, what I do, or even because I do podcast myself, right? Anytime that I'm going to deliver something that I know what's in, that could be important and maybe make an impact, I always reach out to people you know, people that maybe lived in that time that they can tell me how they felt and how they feel now. And one of the zingers in that line, there's two, there's two zingers in my speech, pretty much. Mm -hmm. The first zinger that I heard from a friend who lived, my other friend who went through the first move is he, he said to me, what can we do as a city, as a community and fans to get out of the shadows of San Francisco and be our own city where others are going to want to come visit us and see our city and our team? Mm. Because Oakland is maybe the stepchild to San Francisco. Every All these tourists go to San Francisco. All mm-hmm. the, you know, the San Francisco 49ers. 
And we want it to be our own city. And the way how we do that is that we build a responsible stadium with infrastructure and development that's going to benefit not just the team, but the community and the fans and where people around the world are going to want to say, what can we do to come there, right? Then the other one was, is there's a line that Al Davis, the former owner of the Raiders who recently passed away or who passed away a few years ago, he has a famous line that says, when you have good coaches and good players, you tell them one thing, just win, baby, right? So I said to them, when you have good community leaders, good fan bases, good community, you tell everybody one thing, and the whole crowd went, just win, baby. Damn. Um, but and the one before I forget, you know, when I was telling everybody, what can we do to get out of the shadows of San Francisco? I start, I got a round of applause from everyone because it's just a cultural thing. Like it's us against San Francisco. So everybody got around, everybody was like uh, giving me a round of applause. And I had a, I went like, you can't see me, but I was waving my hands down. Like, like, you know, when a quarterback is at home and it's yeah. too loud and, and he's hushing yeah. the crowd, that's what mm-hmm. I was doing, but I'm in my getup. I'm in my the silver and black face paint i'm with my shoulder pads my yeah. knife and even when i introduced myself i said dr death everybody's laughing like oh dr death is here this is funny never had this and yahoo reported it as me being like a tom brady or a quarterback leading the crowd trying to hush them because i'm in the middle of my speech right yeah and Dude, a that's lot powerful and a lot of my speech didn't focus on we're the raiders and we love our team it was what kind of jobs can we bring? What kind of revenue will this bring us that can fix our dilapidated school system, infrastructure that needs to be built, um, you know, transportation that needs to be had for people in neighborhoods that don't have it right now so they can get to work? This can be revolutionary stuff. Yes, you know, we are preserving the combined 100 years of championships between the Age Raiders and Warriors, but we, this is bigger than football. And the funny thing about the, the the term bigger than football, going back to I speak to people who are in my community, and I got that bigger than football from a group called Crown Downtown here in Sacramento, who at the time was also trying to save the Kings. Mm-hmm. And I was chatting with him, and he goes, we can't think about sports. We have to think about the community. And that's what I did. Yeah. Because how this is going to affect – People, let's say you don't even like football, you don't even like sports, you've never watched a down of football or been to a Raider game. This is going to positively affect you, but it has to be um, responsibly where we're not using taxpayer money. And that is where a lot of people said, okay, you know, we're, now we're talking business now. And this clown dressed up in face paint isn't just talking about his beloved Raiders. Right. It's not just you're not just this random, crazy, drunk fan who gets all dressed up because he has nothing else to do and and like supports his team on Sundays. Like this is like you just said, it's bigger than football. This is like your life and your family and community. Uh, It's the infrastructure. So then uh, what happens after this meeting? Like, how did what was the outcome of that? Besides it being uh, trending and popular. So I know along the way, because I don't chronologically speaking it was either this one or that because there was i went to like two dozen of them yeah and i know at least one of them there was legislation that needed to be passed which at the time i didn't know what it meant i didn't realize what it meant to like six months to a year later but anytime you build us you want to build anything you need an environmental impact report 
commonly known as an EIR, and they needed an EIR passed for 120 acres. But it was even more important because in cities like Oakland, San Francisco, any of these major metropolises, it's difficult passing major legislation because there's a lot of red tape. And it's very difficult to overcome this type of legislation. And over and we had we passed it unanimously. Wow. And that was monumentous. So after that, we said, okay, we got the ball rolling because the thought was Oakland can't Oakland Oakland can't do anything without tripping over its own two feet. Mm-hmm. That was a kind of common thought and still kind of true to this day. If when you go to a major metropolis, Oakland, Detroit, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, and the fact that we were able to overcome it, um, you know, over a three to four year span, what was important is for the city of Oakland to come into agreements with developers, people who were willing to develop, you know, the most important thing. Okay. We got this EIR passed, but who the hell is going to build the damn thing? Mm-hmm. And that's monumentous because we're talking about a two billion, two billion with the B, two billion dollar project, and all these moving parts. We have the city of Oakland, but most importantly, you have the National Football League, and you have thirty-one other owners that also need to agree with it, and you have ten different politicians with different vested interests that we all also have to appease, and then most importantly, we had the owner of the Oakland Raiders who he had to agree to it. And what I was battling was how can we have our voices heard? And the way that we did that obviously was my speech, but then it was also overcoming these little um, legislative hurdles to complete, to get our stadium done. And so for those that may not be in the know as much, what was, why did the, why did the Raiders want to leave or who wanted the Raiders to leave? Was it the owner or was it like the league? So, okay. And this, this top, that question right now, it's still highly debated to this day. Meaning mm-hmm. I still have back and forth on Twitter because of this question today. And the common theme some say is Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, who because his his father Al Davis was this maverick, this Hall of Famer, had been mm-hmm. owner of the Raiders for 30 plus years. He passed away in 2013, 2012. He took over and he said, I need to get a stadium deal done, but I don't have a lot of money. And I just wanted stadium for my team. But when the Raiders announced that they were moving, they were announced that they were moving to Los Angeles because he thought that he can get a stadium deal done there. With no expense to him, but he said he wanted to stay in Oakland if he could get a deal done. But mm-hmm. looking back, every time the city of Oakland had a deal that required him to give his part, it's like he stalled at every minute. At every time, it's like, well, it was always some type of excuse. At one point, I was a big supporter of the owner until I caught on and I said, no, he's wasting our time now. He's wasting our time. Nobody else is seeing it. And I became kind of like the a Raider fan who was antagonist, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for a long time, you're supportive. You're literally getting legislation passed, environmental reports done and moves along. And the guy who is kind of the gatekeeper and it seems like in this case isn't able to 
say yes and contribute his part or give his approval. So then you are finally kind of over it, tired of it. And then so you kind of take the opposite approach and kind of like speak out against them, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll add a little bit context to that. Yeah. Specifically when I say he stalled is <clears throat> there's a common theme, right? People say Oakland didn't do enough, meaning the city of Oakland, the politicians didn't do enough to keep the Raiders. My response to them is, but it's not their responsibility to build the Raiders a stadium. Yes, he needs help. Yes, the city of Oakland went above and beyond and brought these developers that weren't cheap, that weren't free. But in the end, because he's the owner, we need him to give his input and finish the product, finish mm-hmm. the deal. Got it. Anything that the city of Oakland gave to Mark Davis and the Raiders is incomplete by nature because it's not their stadium, right? So that's right. how we stalled. And how I said, I went to like two dozen council meetings and a lot of it had to do with legislation. I either, I supported it. There was some legislation that was vehemently against that I was, um, I gave scorching um, lectures, speeches that was really scolding these politicians that I pretty much told them we took two steps forward. And with this legislation, we're taking five steps back. And I gained notoriety for that. So it wasn't just, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Mm-hmm. I went there with saying, this is bad. This is not good. And I did, you know, several interviews when I saw that I was going in many other, it wasn't, I wasn't just the only one. I was one of the few that would speak, but there'd be like a hundred Raider fans and community members. Mm-hmm. But all these council meetings that I went to, the Raider owner didn't go to not one of them. He didn't go to oh. any of them. Wow. And I went wow. to four. Uh, I went to four NFL owner meetings. Four of them. He only, and one was in San Francisco. The other ones were in uh, Dallas and Houston, Arizona. But the one in San Francisco, the first one, he, the Raider owner, Mark Davis, came out to me, and he thought I was going to be like, "Hey, go Raiders!" But the first thing I said to him was, "Is you say you want to stay here in Oakland? You're trying to go to L.A." But you're doing all these plans in L.A. You appointed a person to head your move to Los Angeles. Where's our guy? Where is our person that's going to spearhead your stadium here? Right. I said this to an NFL owner, my NFL owner. And he just looked at me and he was kind of pissed because I cross-examined him. I challenged him. I didn't curse him. I asked him a specific tangible question that when he walked away, because there, uh, let me back up real quick. There was NFL media everywhere from the NFL Network, ESPN, <laughs> Sports Illustrated. I had, I was surrounded. There was like 30 media members. And he walked away. And I said to the media, do you see that? Every time he gets challenged, he walks away. He does not like being challenged. And he walked away. And wow. that, after that, it kind of set the tone. And I told everybody, he does not want to stay here. And that's when the mood kind of went from like really happy to lukewarm to hold on. No, he's pulling the wool over our heads right now. Right, man. And okay. and, I'll, and and at one point I went, this is what actually got me a lot of um, notoriety. And I guess you can say made me infamous part of it was I went, so one year we went about 300 Raider fans. We went to Raiders headquarters on NFL draft day. It was the third day. And you know, here in America, 
in the NFL, draft day is very popular, right? Mm-hmm. The first day. But on the third day, it took about 300 Raider fans. I had a big sign that said, we love the Davis family. 300 of us took a petition that I started about three months before, and I got 10,000 signatures on it to keep the Raiders in Oakland. And we chanted, we want Mark, which is Mark Davis, the Raiders owner. He came out, I handed him the petition, and I said, we'll do whatever we can to help you keep the Raiders here. And he says, thank you very much, whatever. About two years later, I'm pissed now. I'm saying enough is enough. He's had three years to do something. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen a developer. We haven't seen an architect. We haven't seen a plan. We haven't seen him in any council meetings. So at this time, I said, I'm pissed. And I started yelling because I started yelling at a window at Raiders headquarters that was open. And I told, and I started yelling, Mark, it's time to sell the team. Just sell the team now because we're not getting anywhere with you. You don't have the money. You're broke because he's broke by NFL standards, mm-hmm. right? And I said, your dad would be ashamed of you. He's rolling over in his grave. Sell the team. We're sick of your lies. Someone recorded me saying that, posted it on social media, and it got like 25,000 views and retweets. <laughs> and that was really the the start of, I'm very anti-Mark Davis, and I want you the hell out of here. Yeah. And then ESPN and Sports Illustrated got that. Um, and then I'm sure we'll delve into this later on, but uh, I made the cover of Sports Illustrated, um, and we can get into that in a second too. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to ask. That's I think that's kind of from my understanding in our timeline and our years of friendship is that this incident happens. It's a clear turn of uh, allegiance, positivity, teamwork, helping them out. To I'm against you. I want what's best for the team. I want you out. That incident now you get all this attention, this coverage. Is this when you become on the cover of Sports Illustrated? What's the story about? So what happened was, is now I'm fully motivated to do whatever the hell I can to garner him negative PR. Mm. Because one of the main stipulations to move your team is there, you can only, one of the, you can move if you don't have any community support. And that was far from the case. They had the Raiders had sold out season tickets, whereas five years ago they couldn't sell they couldn't sell out the joint to save their lives. But now they had all season tickets were all sold out, and they had a season wait list of twenty thousand fans. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm on social media. I'm up to eight thousand followers, and again, I'm interacting with people either through direct message, through tweets, and. The common consensus was we need to do something drastic because the Raiders have a Sunday night football game in Oakland on national television against our AFC West rivals. Someone came up with the idea that what if we flew a plane that said, Las Vegas, if you build it, we won't come. And we said, well, how much money do you think we can raise in under 24 hours? 24 hours, we raised roughly $5,000 on a GoFundMe from Raider fans on social media because someone said, hey, Ray, you need to put it on your social media. You have the most followers. So I put it on my social media. 24, 24 hours later, I had, what, what did I say, $5,000 we raised? Yeah. And we flew a plane on Sunday night football 
over the stadium that said, Las Vegas, if you build it, we won't come. And we printed out 20,000 signs that people could hold. And we had six, like three by eight or what, four by eight banners, ginormous banners that said, one said, um, stay in Oakland. The other one said, Vegas, if you build it, we won't come. And it's huge. Mm-hmm. And at that game, if I remember correctly, it was raining, but people still came out and we were out in the parking lot. We handed about in the parking lot alone, we handed out about a thousand um, stay in Oakland signs as well. That's what we had stay in Oakland mm-hmm. signs. And we got behind the um, the desks of NFL Network because, you know, for Sunday night game or for for those games, they broadcast live in a booth. Mm-hmm. And I got a thousand Raider fans behind this booth to chant on camera, stay in Oakland where we were drowning out the hosts. Wow. Like they couldn't, they couldn't hear themselves on live TV because we were chanting stay in Oakland. Right. That's incredible. And we go into the game and we're playing the Broncos and, and we're cheering. And this guy comes up to me in the black hole. He's, he's on the field. But while I'm cheering, he goes, hey, I want to ask you some questions in between your cheering. And and the Raiders had an interception. I'm yelling, and then I come down, and I answer his questions. I go back to yelling, come down, answer his questions. He then jumps in the black hole with me, and I kind of figure out now what's going on. And I said, okay, but if you do this piece, it can't only be about me. It has to be about people around me because the people, the, the Raiders staying here in Oakland, it's about the community. He mm-hmm. interviewed people around me and they 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 talked about me and my influence and what it means to keep the raiders and a week later i'm driving uber in san francisco i get a text message from a guy um, from the reporter from sports illustrated and he goes hey look did you check out the cover sports illustrated and i said no what are you talking about and he sent me a picture and i said oh crap (laughs) whoa what did you just do right now um and mind you i like I have a Twitter following and there's a faction of Twitterverse that absolutely hates me because yeah. they see me as the antichrist to being a Raider fan. Cause I was, cause I came, became so anti Mark, Mark Davis. And, and I talked so much trash about the Raiders leaving that some people absolutely hated me. And I knew making this cover, pe- more people would hate me. And that's what ended up happening. But it wasn't just the random people. It was the people that I knew that I welcomed into my home that started talking trash about me on being on sports illustrated, which we'll get right. to later on. Right. Wow. <sighs> Lots of roller coaster of emotions. Lots of, uh, context shared in stories about, um, this adversity throughout really this several year period of some, you're being a lifelong fan and you're passionate about this, but, what what was like the final straw? What like triggered um, the toughest part, this toughest challenge for you? And like, what was the outcome of all of this? Like, it was cool that you're the, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, it's cool. You're, you're getting some flack for it. You're getting some praise for it. What what makes you end up dethroning yourself as Dr. Death? <clears throat> so. I have to set up a little bit of a chronological time yeah. here. Sure. So the I'd say my first let, let, let's talk about being dethroned as that includes a lot of adversity, right? 
And the first adversity was when I made the cover of Sports Illustrated. I had people that I knew that pretended to be my friends say, I'm throwing this crap away. People who turned their backs on me because they thought I was gaining too much attention. And it hurt. That super hurt. Mm -hmm. I was probably sad for about a week. I even thought about just quitting right then and there saying, this isn't even worth it. What am I in this for? I first started to become a Raider fan and doing this because of my love of the Raiders, my love of community. We need to keep us together. And now people that I liked actually hate me now. And that took me about a week or two to get over. I was like, I was probably depressed. Um, and then I said, nah, you know what? Nah, because this is a platform that I have. The platform that has notoriety that can help others. So I continued. Um, the other one was when the Raiders first, for, for to, to move, you have to go to a, an NFL vote of the owners. Mm -hmm. And I went to the first vote and it was for the Raiders to go to Los Angeles and they were competing with two other teams, the Rams and the Chargers. The Rams who were in St. Louis won overwhelming support and the Raiders took dead last. So it went the Rams and then the Chargers and then the Raiders. The Chargers and Raiders had to go back. The Rams won. But when the reason why I bring this up, when I was there, the owners were being interviewed. And the interviewer, the reporter, asked Mark Davis, the owner, and he said, well, what do you have to say to your fans in Oakland who wants you to stay? I was expecting him to say, hey, you know what? We need to get back to the drawing board. We do, you know, we we still need a stadium. We're going to go back to Oakland. We're going to try to get it done. So what you would figure would be said, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. He said, hi. Like, hi, I know you're there. And, and I said, what, you mother... I was outside of that hotel room. I was so close on jumping over the balcony that I was, that was keeping me from him. And I was going to take off my shoe and throw it at his head. <laughs> I that's I was so close, but I said, you know what? I can't get arrested. I'm in Dallas right now. I got to go back home and get on a plane. Yeah. And I said, okay, now he's the villain now. And going through all that, um, in the end, they went to about a year later, two years later, went to another NFL vote in Arizona, and that's where they just unanimously voted the Raiders to go to Las Vegas. I went to my mm -hmm. hotel room, turned mm -hmm. on my Periscope, turned on my Facebook Live, and I basically said, look, I said from the get-go, if the Raiders leave, I said this five years prior, if the Raiders leave, I'm done. Nobody believed me. They said, no way. I'm a Raider till I die. And I go, no. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And that's where I said, I'm done. And I cried because that was just, that was the end of an era. It was an yeah. end of a lifetime. It was, um, you know, all these memories of how euphoric it was of how my team that represented my region of Northern California was leaving us. And it was sad. And man, I got so much hatred. I got, dude, so much vile, uh, it, it I got the worst that you can get. And I was depressed. I was probably depressed for about a solid six years where I, I, I didn't know what my new purpose was. I didn't know where I was going to have this raging passion that I had. Yeah. Where am I going to turn it to? And I, I mean, still life has never been the same. It never will be, but life does go on. Um, and it, it just took a toll on me, on my spirit, on my physicality. But, um, I had to find a way to overcome it. Wow. 
That's certainly, that's a crap ton. That's a lot. It's a whole lifetime of passion since you're seven with your dad. Uh, it comes to an end. Um, wow. It's just a lot. I can't even form words right now. Uh, but it's just like, like what, how did you get yourself out of this hole? Or like, what, how did you get to this new passion or like these new interests and hobbies? Like, you dedicated your whole life to this thing and it's just over. It's just a lot to go through. So, you know, it's interesting you ask that because I mean, I'm still dealing with it. And mm-hmm. I actually, to answer this question, I don't, I think I'm, I just got a little bit of the answer last night. And wow. I say last night because I, I will always have hatred towards Mark Davis. I want nothing but the worst for that organization. And people say, yeah, but it's not the player's fault. Players come and go. They can go. They'll go to another team. They'll get traded. Who cares? I don't care if John Madden reincarnate comes in through that door and says, I'm going to bring the Raiders back to glory. Screw you. You're not bigger than the team. You're not bigger than the organ. You're not bigger than the community. I hate Mm -hmm. the Raiders and Mark Mm -hmm. Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was tough figuring out what I wanted to do, what my new passion was, and I'm still searching for like what my new passions are. Like I, I make it a point. I have to go to the gym. Like that's mm-hmm. the one thing that I make my passion, make it part of my daily routine is I go to the gym. Right. Um, I love politics. I love podcasting. Um, and I've talked about you. How long did we talk about it for over a year? How much I wanted to launch a podcast. Cause I did a, I did a yep. sports podcast for eight years. Yeah. The Raiders are gone. No more podcasting. And I love podcasting. Yeah. For a year, maybe even more, you and I talked about podcasting, and you kept telling me you got to do it, you got to start it. I finally started it last week, just to start it. You know, I was doing um, uh, current events and politics, way different than sports, but I'm trying to find something new. Yeah. I'm currently in public relations, quit my job last January. I've been lurking. I want to get into politics, get into public affairs. Um, by the time, you know, my, my lifelong goal, by the time I'm 50, cause I'm 31 now, by the time I'm 50, I want to run for some form of public office and I got to build my foundation here. But looking back, my passion, my activism is, I knew I had something there with the Raiders. Now imagine taking that passion to defend my community, defend the issues that I love in my community. And I got to right. do that. Yep. Now in terms of last night, you know, I was I was writing this blog because I was telling you another thing I need to do is I need to write more, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm practicing writing a blog, and I have the Raiders game on, and they're winning. And it hit me there that, yes, I'm always going to hate them, but I'm slowly starting to get indifferent about them. Because well, well, how, what does that thing go? Um, the worst thing than love and hate is indifference. Like if yeah. you don't care about something, like that sucks. Whereas like, oh, if you hate me, it's like, oh, well, at least he has passion for me. But if <laughs> right. he's indifferent about me, that's the worst feeling you can have is because you just don't care. Go back three years ago, going from this fully passionate, loving, you know, about the Raiders and doing everything I can to now I'm like, nah, I don't care. I'm writing yeah. a blog on my laptop and I have some game on and okay, the Raiders won, turned it off. I don't care. Yeah. So that's a, that's a step in a direction for myself. But it's taking it head on and not running away from your issues, but also using the resources around you. I used – I have a friend of mine who went through the same thing. He didn't dress up like I did, but it hurt him like I did. 
He's mm-hmm. eight years older than I am. And another thing that I really leaned on, and I still do, is my religion. I go to God. And at one point, I was so depressed. I said to my friend, people who don't believe in God and are depressed, I don't know Like I don't know what I would do with my life if I didn't have God to lean on. Right. Because it was so life-changing to me personally, you know, speaking to myself. And, um, and I, and I continue, you know, speaking to guys like you, like you and I, we have a personal relationship and we chat all the time. You've told me times where you were vulnerable and I wanted to support you as a friend. That was a moment for me that I can be there for somebody. Right. Definitely. You know, you want to, you've never been a podcast type person, but I think it's safe to say that, um, you're challenging yourself by doing your respective podcast, right? And totally, that's cool seeing you do it. And we are like-minded individuals and talking to people like you help me overcome my adversity. And so really it's like adversity is going to happen in any way, shape or form. It's different for every person, but adversity and challenges come up for everyone. So take it head on. Don't shy away from it is kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. definitely. Don't shy away from it. And then find especially in this case when you lose a passion um and your a lot of activities and stuff time spent like take what you liked the most from those and find similarities and draw those out into new things right so like poli- like politics you liked rallying communities you right liked like standing up for people and believing in what's right and actually taking action for that so go after the adversity you're facing and then draw what you like out of your previous passions into your new ones. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, because, excuse me, um, taking on adversity head on, overcoming it really builds character. And it, I don't want to say it makes you like Teflon. I don't want to say that, but um, it makes you a better person understanding what adversity looks like because now mm-hmm. when you when you come across other adversities or other challenges those challenges will now cease smaller to me innocuous to me now right uh, you know and i and i still like here here's the thing though is watching football still fun like i like the x's and the o's and i like watching kyler murray and you know and jimmy garoppolo and a little bit of Derek carr the raiders quarterback Mm-hmm. But no way am I anywhere near invested. Um, there's other new things that I've seen is that, you know, being a Raider fan is almost, it's like being in a cult and it's not helping. <laughs> it is like being in a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Right. And, and another thing I think too, looking back, because one thing that can't be overlooked is self-reflection. Always self-reflect when you, when you overcome an adversity, I like just think about Matt, like Matt, think about like two years ago, whatever adversity you were going through, self-reflect on it. Like, like in hindsight, what would you have done differently now that you would do differently so your future will be different, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for one, it's like I remember talking to a Raider fan, and he's Catholic like I am, and I asked him, can the Catholic Church do anything to you for you to be like, nope, can't go to church anymore? And he started naming them off. The Catholic Church can do X, they can do Y, and they can do Z. And I said, fair enough. Okay. And I said – can the Raiders do anything to you for you to say, nope, can't go to Raider games anymore, not supporting this? And he thinks out loud and he goes, um, no. And I said, okay, hold on here. God 
can do all these things, but an NFL team that doesn't even know you exist can't do anything for you to rescind your fandom. Right. Like you'll abandon God first, but you won't abandon your football team. And I said, <laughs> okay, I need to self-reflect here and see what what lifestyle do I have that is making me mad or dark or a yeah. worse person. You know what I mean? Right. And even if the Raiders were to come back and say, no, we're not going to Vegas. We're going to stay here. My fandom would be vastly different. Yep. There would be an end to it. I don't know if there would be a complete bleed of my fandom into my personal life. Like we were talking about, like earlier in this conversation, mm-hmm. there would be a difference now because the bleed of, um, you know, going into my life was affecting it negatively and self-reflecting helps me move forward. I know I was rambling there, but that no, was- no, that's good. Uh, self-reflecting is huge, man. Um, it's just trying to, and you can do it at any point in time, right after the fact or later on, right. but self-reflecting is how you try to take a step back. You take, uh, try to take an unbiased view, view both sides of a situation and see if you see it differently, what you learn from it, what you would do differently next time. Um, so speaking of self-reflecting, um, coming up is the, that one thing segment I do with all my guests. This is a segment where I ask the guest, if you're going to talk to everyone in the world via any medium, it's a text, it's a video, it's an image, whatever it may be, what's the one thing you would tell them? What's your one truth? What's your life lesson? What would make the entire world's lives better, kinder, more fulfilled, anything like this? What would it be? What's that one thing? It always gets better. It always gets better. It always why, gets better. Why do you say that? Because in life, you are always going to over you are always going to face adversity. You're always gonna face a time where you're struggling and you wish you weren't doing it. And the reality is there this is the, just just the reality. In some cases, people contemplate taking their lives. If um, more, most most prominently, the person who I wish I can say that to is Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And we only hear about people and depression when someone prominent can't overcome their adversity because they mm-hmm. think that there isn't enough to overcome it, overcome it being adversity. And some people maybe they not may not go that far in taking their own lives because that that's that's just a main problem, right? That I've seen whereas people um are become too depressed. And even though people who won't go that far, they stay depressed because maybe they don't know that there's things out there that can help them. Mm -hmm. I've been – I have always been um, a proponent and I've used my social media channels to say, hey, today we are not talking about the Raiders today. We're not talking about politics today. We're going to talk about how things can get better for you tomorrow even though you think it can't. No matter what, like you may be riding high right now at a holo- in, a, in a roller coaster and you may be going, woo, this is awesome. Everybody will come up, uh, will face a time in their life where they're sad, where they're depressed and they have no idea what's going on. You yourself, you know, you and I were talking, you know, it, 
it was important for your mental health that you had to do things differently to get better. And you did, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you, you yourself, you had the capacity to um, use your resources around you, whether it was your family, whether it was your friends, whether it was a professional therapist, whatever, whatever that is, you were able to use that to get better because you knew things got better. Some people don't necessarily have that capacity or don't have the resources. Maybe they don't have a lot of family. Maybe they don't know that there is professionals that can help them get better. But that's the one thing I would at the very least say, things will get better tomorrow. And maybe that will prompt them to say, what do you mean? Why? And they say, well, this is why. You know, whatever you're going through, somebody can help you through that. It always gets better. Love it. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. Um, as we're winding down here, uh, Ray, if anyone wants to engage with you after and follow you or talk to you, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can follow me. Uh, so I do have my Dr. Death Twitter account. If you want to check that out, you can at 26DrDeath because I still interact with Raider fans. But I launched a new Twitter account. Give me a follow at It's Ray Paris, I-I-T-S-R-A-Y-P-E-R-E-Z. Um, if you're wondering why am I pronouncing Perez like Paris is because that's how they pronounce it on Guam. But It's Ray Paris, and that's on Instagram as well. Um, if you like politics and you want to talk about current events and you want to shoot me stuff, by all means, tweet me at it's Ray Paris or on Instagram. It's Ray Paris. Awesome, dude. Uh, really appreciate the conversation, the openness and the vulnerabilities, um, and sharing that one thing, uh, people tune into Ray. He's a good dude. Uh, any last words? Yeah, man. I just, I, dude, you know what? I want to tell everybody here. I've known Matt. How long have I known you, Matt? Three years now? At least three years. About three years, dude. Matt's the man. Really appreciate him. Um, I got to know Matt at PRSA, and uh, we just connected, man. He was a good listener. He's a good dude. And Matt's the type of guy that I bounce ideas off of, and you know we can bounce ideas off each other, and good dude. Um, and I appreciate you guys listening in. And that, I mean, that's really it, man. And Matt, thanks so much for having me, having me dude. I really appreciate it. You got it. All right, man. Thanks for uh, coming on again, and uh, have a good day. Yeah, no doubt, my man. Have a good one. Take, thanks for Peace having me. Peace out. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it, then leave a rating and review if you haven't already. Have an awesome day.